It's a, uh, as I've been getting prepared for this weekend, um, there have been a few things that I've been noticing kind of converged on one day. Um, firstly, today we celebrate Corpus Christi. Um, we celebrate the gift of the Eucharist, the gift of the celebration of the Mass that, that we come to celebrate today. Secondly, uh, converging on today is Father's Day. Um, so, uh, happy Father's Day to all of our, all of our fathers. Uh, we'll have a blessing at the end of Mass and a little gift for you on your way out. Um, but Father's Day also, uh, part of it, a, uh, a, big, a big part of it, is uh, I, I do want to recognize that some people, Father's Day is hard, right? Um, some people, uh, especially if it's recent, uh, that you may have lost your father or, or uh, your father wasn't around or wasn't the best as, as a young age, um, sometimes Father's Day can be kind of a hard day. So I just want to reverence and recognize that um, today as well. Uh, so we're praying for all of us, for all of our fathers, for for all of us as a community. And then thirdly, um, I don't know if you've heard, but this is my last weekend here at St. Hilary. Um, so next week, I'm gonna be on a little retreat, uh, and the week after that, I will be starting at my new assignment at St. Thomas Aquinas uh, at Nichols. Um, but as I've been reflecting on today, as I've been kind of getting prepared for this weekend, um, that idea and that image of fatherhood is something that has just kind of continued to, to resonate with me. And I think our readings and, and just the way in which this day has kind of come together, um, it just lends itself to some reflection on fatherhood. You see, because when I was, as a kid, when I was growing up, when I was in middle school, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, it, all throughout my life as I was a young person, just trying to figure out what my vocation was in life and trying to, trying to ask the Lord and, and to kind of measure and, and you know, kind of, kind, of, kind of weigh it out myself, my options, um, the thing that had always stuck with me and that, that I think has always been my driving force as I was growing up was it, my, my biggest hope and my biggest desire was to be a dad. It wasn't so much to be married, even though I, I, obviously if I would have gotten married and I would have loved my wife and everything, but like I, my, my biggest desire of my heart was always to just be a dad. And, and, I, and I give that, I credit that, honestly, in my life, um, to the fact that I had three men who showed me what a dad was in unique, but really, really beautiful ways. My two grandfathers and my dad, right? Um, there's one image that, that, in my mind, the image that just sticks out to me when I think of what fatherhood looks like or what dadhood looks like, right? When I think of what that looks like, it's an, it, there's a picture that I, in my family that we had, um, I was, I think, eight years old. I'm in an ugly Central Lafouche Baseball Association all-star jersey, bright yellow, looked great, let me tell you, right? I'm standing with a bat in my hand, my pants on, like with my little green hat CL, you know? I'm standing there like this, and my dad is on his knee right next to me, Burt Reynolds mustache going on, looked like Mike Ditka, right? Um, kneeling down with khaki shorts that were a little bit too short, like most dads were at that time, and then the same disgusting yellow, puke yellow looking shirt with the green letter Central Lafouche Baseball Association across the chest because we were all stars and we had a nice little picture. But that, like for me, always, there's so many elements of that picture that are gross, but at the same time, to me, that picture always stood for that's what fatherhood looks like. It was just an icon that my dad was 
my coach. He was, he was with me. He was my friend. We, always there to pick me up if I was bad or punish me if I was bad. You know, whatever it was. Like, uh, like all of the things of fatherhood just kind of like came together in that one picture. So when I was a kid and, and I went to Catholic school and, and I was told that God is a loving father... When Jesus teaches us to, te- to call God Father, in a few minutes, at the end, towards the end of Mass, we'll say what? Our Father, right? When, when we relate to God as a Father, because of the examples of an earthly Father that I had, it made it a lot easier to understand God as my Father. The problem is, most people in our world today don't have healthy expressions of father. Many of us are carrying around the burdens of having just broken examples of father. Catechism 2779 actually talks about this explicitly and says before we're ever to approach God as father, what we have to do is we have to purge ourselves or strip away the mask that our broken images of Father in the world that we might have thrown on God. For example, 18 and a half million children today grow up without a father in the house. That's a daunting and should be a, a, a surprising number. No wonder if I don't have a dad that's around me or dad that doesn't necessarily care about me, or dad who's not present and with me, then no wonder when I look at my heavenly father that I question if he's either there or if he cares. Dads carry a certain responsibility to communicate and to reveal the love of an infinite God. And that is not a task that should be taken lightly. I think in our world today, before we ever talk about any of the hot-button things that are on CNN, on Fox News, on on social media, any of the things that are blowing up as the big crisis of this week, uh, before the most fundamental crisis we have in our culture right now is a crisis of fatherhood. And because it has such a, it it reverberates so much bigger than just here. And just the family structure. And just the the provision and the way in which a, a, a kid grows up. It also skews our image of God himself. Now, we could, we, could, we could ask the question, why is that the case? And we can give a million different answers of, of you know, just a cultural shift or people being folk, like a, a commitment problem or, or maybe it's a fear thing or maybe it's just this growing sense of I want to continue my adolescence into my 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, right? I want to have freedom, whatever it is. There's, such a, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways we can question of why this is the case in our world today, but I think one of the most fundamental focuses that we have to realize is that we have to shift at some point in our life from a me-centered, self-centered approach to the world to an other 
centered focus in the world. I tell this to, mar- I tell this to couples when we're doing marriage prep all the time. I say at some point, you know, you're going to walk into your wedding and on your wedding day, you're going to give yourself completely to each other and you're going to walk out. And I tell the guys in particular, I say, look, when you walk out of the church, if you still are living your bachelorhood, if you think you're moving into your house and you're still going to be able to live a bachelor lifestyle, get ready because your wife is going to kill it. And she has every right to. Because it's no longer about me. That's a bachelor. It's about you. And ladies, you're not off the, you're not, you, you don't get off the hook either. Like, if you're walking out with bachelorette hood still as the way in which you operate, then your husband should be able to kill it. Because it's no longer about me. It's about another. Any parent that has ever held their child, has ever had a child and held this new little infant, knows that if that doesn't happen in marriage, it definitely happens in the delivery room. Because all of a sudden, every priority that I've ever had shifts. And it should. Because it's no longer about me. It's about this child. I think today's gospel, honestly, is, is one of the best expressions that we could imagine on Father's Day. Now, Father, that's a big, that's a stretch, right? We're talking about the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, and, and you're talking about being a father. But bear with me for a second. We hear that the apostles are with Jesus. Jesus is teaching. It gets to the part of the day where everybody's getting hungry. And every, Cajun people know what that looks like, right? When I need to be quiet and sit down so that everybody can get the lunch, right? That's basically every 11 o'clock mass, but anyway. Um, so, like, I, I, I know, like, when we know how to read a room. We know whenever we see people are getting hungry, they're getting antsy, they're ready to go. So the apostles look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, you need to do something. We need to stop speaking. You need to stop speaking. Let them go and eat, because right now we're in a deserted place. We're in a deserted place. We're in a place that doesn't have what they need. It doesn't have enough. They didn't bring food. We are in a space where we don't have enough. You need to let them leave. And Jesus offers a very, very profound challenge to the apostles. He looks at, his tw- at the twelve and he tells them. He says, you feed them. And don't let them leave. You feed them. I can only imagine what the apostles were thinking whenever Jesus Christ is looking at them and saying, you feed them, you do this, you give them enough. And all they have around them are five loaves and two fish. 5,000 people, and Jesus is saying, you go do the impossible. Go, make it happen. The overwhelming sense that I can't do this. I'm not enough. Kind of like, congratulations, here's your baby boy. An overwhelming sense. I can't do this. I'm not enough. 
But what the apostles teach us in that moment, they recognize that they're limited. They recognize they don't have enough. And they go to the Lord and they say, I can't feed them, but you can. Take the little bit that I have and work your magic. Take the little bit that I have and multiply. And God's never outdone in generosity. And what does he do? Not only does he feed all the 5,000, but there's baskets and baskets and baskets left over. When we take the little bit that we have, which might be too little for what we're called to do, might be too little for what it is that we feel like we're ne- what's next, might be too little to approach a changing economy and a job market that sucks and, and, and hurricanes and fighting with, our, fighting with our insurance and dealing with being a homeschool teacher while teaching a full-time job and doing all these things like we've been doing for the last few years. When we take the little bit that we have and we offer it in the hands of the Lord, then God can feed us. And God can take care of what we need. We come to Mass today. Why? Because we're going to take something ordinary, bread and wine. Something that's not enough to feed us. And what we do in every Mass is whenever we bring the bread and wine up and on this altar, we offer it to God and we say, God, this is not enough. I can't do this. This is not enough. You need to feed us. What happens? He shows up. And he gives us more than we ever could imagine. When I got assigned here three years ago, or as, a, as a seminarian, I remember the same way that as a kid I would dream about my family, and I dream about what it meant to be father, and I dream about um, being a coach and having a Burt Reynolds mustache and, you know, shorts that are a little bit too short and kneeling down in a picture with an ugly shirt, like all that. Like when I would dream about those kind of things, I would think about my kids, and I think about my family, and I think about all the things that would come. Well, I entered seminary and that kind of went away. And, but the call to be a father and a dad and all that was still very, very loud in my heart. Remember, we were on retreat. I shared this last week at St. Anthony, but I'm going to share it with y'all. Um, we were on retreat. It was about six months before I was ordained a deacon. And the priest that was, te- that was preaching the retreat for us, he said to us, he said, I want, to, I want you to take some time today when you're in the chapel or something and just ask God, who, who's the priest that taught you the most about priesthood? Or who is it that taught you the most about priesthood? And I remember I sat back and I'm in the chapel and I'm in the very back at Lumen Christi in the, in the chapel and I'm against the wall and almost half asleep, but I was just like, all right, Lord, who, who is it? And I just kind of walked through all the priests that I remembered from my life, you know, my, my, Father Menikowski and Father, Father Lede and Father Danny. And, and I'm just going through all the priests that I knew when I was growing up and all the priests that, that I had a relationship with and that, that were inspiring in some way or another. And, and, and they, so many of them, they, they had something about them. But, but 
it never settled. It was, it was like, yeah, okay, I, I appreciated that, but really, like, that's not, that's not all, but I appreciated that part, but not, that, again, not, not the person. And I sat back at one point after I kind of went kind of through this reflection over my life, and I said, all right, Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm empty. Like, I went fishing, caught nothing. But you, you, who is it? Apparently there's a mystery here. Who is it? And almost immediately, it was my grandpa. Uh, my mom's dad. And, and I remember, I, I, I sat there and I thought, if I could live as a priest, if I can be a father the same way that he was a father, then, then we'll be okay. And it's interesting, because since I've been here for three years, I've sat in this chair, and I've reflected every now and then glancing over at this pew. It's five days a week, this is where him and my grandma sat. It was closest to the door so they could get in and get out. But I remember that pew. And every now and then I would kind of glance over and I would just think, what would Pops think about this? The last three years have been a lot, to say the least. Pandemic, hurricane, everything else. The beautiful thing about our faith, and I, I feel like my, my, my last few years here has been a testament to this, is that today's gospel continues to take place. Because I can't do it. So my, my hope has always been, I'm going to go to God and say, God, I can't do it, you need to. The beautiful thing about our faith is that, that that's what it means to be a priest. The same way that's what it means to be a good parent. God, I can't do it, so you need to. Our, our parish is lucky because I know, for a fact, that the man who's going to sit in that chair very soon, and has part-time, right, that he feels the same way. That God, I, I, I can't do this, so you need to. that's the disposition that we have, this community, the Lord, will never be outdone. In it, for this community, the Lord will never be outdone in generosity. I'll end with this. Uh, last, on Friday, I went to confession with Father PJ. He's a punk. Because um, <laughs> I, I said, I, I share all my sins. I'm not going to share that with you because that'll bore you. But I, I, I share all my sins and then I look at him after and he looks at me and he says, you and I are very alike. And I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> and he said, because we lead with love. And so what you mean? He says, he says, I know you're excited to get to a new assignment with new challenges and a new community of love. And I said, yeah, and in, in, in time that, that'll take place. He said, but you're in turmoil right now because your heart is broken because you have to say goodbye to a community and a people that you already do love. Like I said, I don't like Father PJ. <laughs>
It's been an absolute pleasure to be your priest. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to, to be a witness to God's generosity and his love. But I wanted to make sure that before I leave, that you hear me very clearly. I will always remember this community. I'll always love you. Amen.